0: Welcome to the Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of
1: Scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out.
0: Hello, and welcome to a very special first episode of a
1: six-week series. Yes, first episode of a series, second episode total. We will be looking at Soli Deo Gloria. Yes. And what does
0: that mean? It means to the glory of God alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, it's part of a group of five known as the five solas, and they all kind of revolve around the doctrine of justification.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of our... What we were mentioning last week about the Reformation. Uh, we'll lead into that, I believe, week three? So I five weeks, so. week three. Somewhere like around that. there.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a special episode then, kind of centered around, it'll come out, I believe, right around Halloween, Yeah. which for those of you that don't know, that's kind of like the main date
1: attributed with the Reformation is October 31st. Yeah, so it kind of worked out perfectly. Yeah. But let's get into it.
0: Of course, so, se, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Uh, essentially, justification leads to the glory of God
1: alone. Only God deserves the glory for our salvation. Yeah, our salvation comes from him. It's not, we know from uh, scripture that it's not something we work towards. It's not something we gain. Uh, it's freely given. And so only him, God, who gives it to us, can have the glory for doing it and Absolutely. giving it to us, you know? Yes. And I have a verse. We're probably going to revisit this
0: verse a lot, uh, but Ephesians two verses eight and nine hmm. for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And what I really want to focus in, at least for this week, so that no one may boast. Yeah. You know, man doesn't save.
1: Right. Uh, and with boasting means that we're giving our self glory. Uh, That's kind of the connotation or the uh, thought behind that, the process behind boasting. is giving yourself glory instead of giving God the glory instead. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think another passage, uh, we won't flip to it, but for those listening at home, when you have time, uh, read through uh, John chapter 1. You know, because near the end of that, I believe it might be verse 15, if I'm correct. I could be wrong. But it talks about how when we're saved, how we're born of God. Yeah. Not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. Yeah. So that's not the full reference, but that's where you can find it is in John chapter one. So we have a, probably one of the most beautiful hymns uh, that I've ever listened to. Uh, written by a amazing, amazing uh, hymnist, lyrics, poet, person that writes poems. I don't know, is that that's poet, right? A poet, yeah. I was trying to be like poetist or something. I don't poet- think that's a word. It's poet. Just making up words. Uh, but I'm going to play a little bit of game here with the viewers and see if they can guess who wrote it, if they didn't already. So it was originally written in 1872, first published in 1875, long time ago.
1: Yeah, long. T- I don't think anybody was alive. Probably not. Now, back then?
0: No, I don't think
1: so. <laughs> It'd have to be like 140. Yeah, that's, yeah,
0: that's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so the author, uh, she is known as the Queen of Gospel Songwriters wrote over 8,000 hymns under various pseudonyms.
1: Wow, 8,000. 8,000. That's a lot.
0: And when she was six years old, was mistreated for an eye infection that led to permanent blindness. Wow. And, permanent uh,
1: blindness.
0: Yeah. And the blindness, it was not a hindrance. She had an incredible mind and an incredible memory, having memorized multiple books of the Bible.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to see, like, you, you think about it, 8,000 hymns being blind. Um, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of who is it? Beethoven. Yeah. Who was deaf? Yeah, and was writing music. Yeah. Um, you know, to be able to do that, uh, be blind and still write hymns, mm-hmm. um, and not be, you know, detrimented by that. Yeah. And giving God the glory for it. So.
0: And uh, interesting, you mentioned Beethoven. Uh, I think Beethoven had Soli Deo Gloria" written on his scores. Interesting I think I could be wrong But I think it was Beethoven Interesting Yeah Just cool connection there Just mine Just kind of Yeah Connected the dots uh, So I'm going to read Her first poem That she wrote At the age of eight. Oh, what a happy soul I am Although I cannot see I am resolved That in this world Contented I will be How many blessings I enjoy That other people don't To weep and sigh Because I'm blind I cannot Nor I won't.
1: Powerful. Yeah, it is. It just goes back to what I was saying just a second ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, giving God glory for mm-hmm. you know the things you're going through. Uh, she's going through blindness at that time, and you know it wasn't a hindrance to her. No. If anything, it
0: helped in other ways. Right. Uh, so I'm going to give a little bit of some other things that she's written that this might help kind of your viewers to guess. Yeah. I say viewers, I guess listeners is listeners. probably the right word. If you're on YouTube, which I can say hello to youtube uh so i'm gonna go through these pass me not O gentle savior rescue the perishing blessed assurance tell me the story of jesus and draw me nearer or as it is probably better known as i am thine O lord
1: yeah a lot of uh at least if you're in the southern baptist Mm -hmm. community a lot of familiar ones right there yes um so who are we talking about we're talking about fanny crosby or better known
0: Francis J Crosby. Yes, uh, also various pseudonyms. <laughs> yeah, which uh, I'm trying to remember why she used the pseudonyms. I think it was so that she could still get published because they were like, we can't have the whole hymnal written by you, right? You know, so they're like, okay, well, this person wrote it instead. They can have the credit, even yeah. though it's a fake person. And I might, love she did
1: that. Yeah, and there might have been a stigma against uh, mm-hmm. female writers yeah. and hymnists in that day as well. It's true. Uh, just in society as a whole and in general.
0: Yeah. Uh, but anybody that doesn't know about Fanny Crosby, I'd recommend reading up, you know, read through the history about how really just how amazing she was herself and a great right. poet. And we'll see it in the way the lyrics are written in this song. But just an amazing, amazing poet.
1: Yeah, and this song that we're about to um, – we're about to go over, To God Be the Glory. Um, probably, I don't know if it's her most famous one, but... It's not. You would uh, think, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely one of the ones we sing quite often, though. Yes, at sir. least here at Oakview. We
0: sing it very often, uh, which is why I was, when we, especially when we talked about Soli Deo Gloria, I was like, this is like the first thing that popped in my head. Right. I'm like, this hymn is perfect. Like, it literally falls line in line with what Soli Deo Gloria means. Mm-hmm. So... We know written by Fanny Crosby, the tune of the song is written by William Howard Doan. So I'm not going to go too much into who that is, but just he was also a very famous uh, composer and stuff like that. They actually, I think they might have done a couple other projects together as well. Nice. So order of lyrics, three verses and a chorus. So it goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And uh, I label it as a song of praise, which I'm sure you'll agree with. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you look at the refrain so-called the chorus. Mm -hmm. Um, It's literally talking about praising the Lord. Yeah, praise
0: the Lord, praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, I also labeled it as an invitation, Mm -hmm. which we'll kind of talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, But like I was saying, this
1: song is full gospel, like just
0: straight gospel is what this song is.
1: Yeah, it goes back to what we're talking about with to God Mm -hmm. be the glory. Um, God alone has glory. Uh, We see... So loved he the world that he gave us his son Mm -hmm. uh, who yielded his life, our redemption to win. That's uh, redemption. That's gospel right there.
0: Absolutely. So audience, I would label this as written for Christians to Christians, uh, but I would also label this as written to the world. And I think the world is a big audience for this song.
1: Yeah, it's not limited to just Christians. I think that is its primary audience. Yeah. Um, One, to serve as a reminder of mm-hmm. you know, where our glory goes to and who deserves yes. it.
0: So with that, let's jump into uh, our four criteria that we're going to rate this song and judge it on. Uh, so musicality, poeticness, evocation, and lyrics. So musicality, we're looking at the singability, the melody, how it sounds, things like that, basically just focusing on the music. So originally written in the key of A-flat, Which, uh, for those of you that don't know, is four flats. That's me. I don't know. Uh, It's very different from uh, a lot of contemporary Christian music you'll see today. It's usually written in the key of G. Or C. Yeah. Easy chords to play on guitar. It's not easy to play in the key of A flat. I say that, you just capo it.
1: And then, yeah, let the capo do all
0: the work. Exactly. Trying to think how you would get to A flat. Oh, you just capo one. G capo one. Okay, yeah. would be A flat. See, that's what they do. They make it, they just change it to G so they can make it easy. Yeah. But I really love the key of A flat. I think it's a beautiful key. This is me as a musician. As a key, we play a lot when it comes to uh, hymns. So normally we'll play in B flat or A flat or kind of the two main
1: keys. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if her other hymns are written in A flat. I mean, I don't know because I'm not a musically inclined person.
0: Yeah. So it's a very, it's a simple melody. It's a very beautiful melody, but there's three lines. There's an A line, a B line, and a C line. So the verse is A line, B line, and then the chorus is C line, B line. And that's how the melody goes. And I really love the phrasing and how the pitches are, just the, the motion of where we arrive to. Because we kind of start at the E flat, we go up to C before settling at B flat. That's line A. And then line B with E flat up to C, then we go to A flat. So it's a really cool... And uh, the way the chords is resolve is by the end, we end up at that 5 chord, at that E flat major chord. And then at the end of line 2, we end back at the A flat major chord. So it's a really cool progression.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like we
0: start here, go up, and then come back down. Yeah, well, yeah. we don't come all the way down. We kind of go up and then kind of settle Okay. up yeah. and then kind of settle. Yeah. Now, that's a very, like, overarching. And we're gonna, this is what we're going to look at here uh, when I talk about, like, how the melody is not... A straight line. Right. Uh This song is not the easiest song to sing, unfortunately. I mean, is that because of, like, the tempo or, like, the... Uh, the big thing is the pitches. The pitch. Honestly. Uh I don't think the tempo is too hard or the rhythm, uh, but the pitches can be very tricky. Uh There's a lot of disjunct motion. Okay. So uh, you might not know what that means. No. So basically... Uh, what we're looking at is it kind of ascends And then it kind of descends a little bit But that ascending and descending is very disjunct It's not a straight line It kind of jumps back and forth oh, I see. So Like for example To God be the glory Great things he hath done So you can kind of see that yeah. disjunctness I see what you mean And it does not make it easy to sing Even then I probably didn't hit those pitches right, right. And that's me looking at the actual score And the, where the notes are on the staff Right I hate it because I love this song so much but is not easy at all to sing. You have to be a singer, I think, to be able to sing this song.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not much, like I said, I'm not much of a musically inclined person. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of going through it in my head, I can definitely tell yeah. the different it, it go, it's a lot back of and forth. Up and down. It's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. And uh, the other
0: thing is that the rhythm in the chorus is not the easiest. Uh, now I say that, a lot of uh, contemporary maybe not contemporary music. I feel like they try to keep the rhythm simple. Uh, a lot of popular music, their rhythms are not very simple. They're usually syncopated and stuff like that. You just don't think about it that way. Uh, but what we have here is a dotted 8th-16th rhythm in the chorus, and I think that can be tricky for people that aren't good with rhythms.
1: Yeah. I'd also say just trying to hit those keys and mm-hmm. the chorus is pretty hard. Yes. I mean, like, praise the Lord. That's... I mean, not yeah. anywhere close to what I'd have to be hitting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, basically. I mean, I love how it, it's like it's structured beautiful. Like from a musical standpoint, I think it's beautiful and I love listening to it.
1: Yeah. It's
0: not easy to sing.
1: No, it's not. Um, I think it is like you said, mm-hmm. knowing how it's sung mm-hmm. um, and probably listening to it being sung is the way you'd get better at it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So, unfortunately, I do give
0: it a three out of five on musicality. Uh, And really the biggest takeaway from that is that it's not very singable. I think, like, if you took the average person and told them to sing the song, they probably wouldn't nail it. Like, maybe you give them one listen or something like that. Unless they have perfect pitch, they're probably not going to nail
1: it. Yeah. With a lot of back and forth like that, I could see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, going from one key to the next and back down and then back and, up and dropping down to the right pitch
0: because right. the pitch that we drop down to is going to be usually E a lot of times we'll drop back down to the E that's usually our lowest note uh, at least what I'm looking at here with our main melody line melodic
1: line here yeah and this is from and what you're looking at is the original original score
0: yes uh, this is a scan from a hymnal that was published in 1875 when this was first published
1: yeah, so we're not talking about like any covers or anything. No. Uh what we what we try to look at or at least what Felipe mm-hmm. tries to look at is the original score yes. how it was originally done, written, and sang.
0: At least for hymns. Uh yeah. it's not you can't really do that with a lot of contemporary songs. Yeah, because they don't they've really
1: been, exist. Yeah, they've been covered so many times.
0: Yeah. Uh but this is a great example. This song has been covered so many times. I think nowadays people play this in G or C. Probably. It tends to be the keys people play this in now. Probably just to make it easier. Yeah that's that's really what it is people don't like those multiple flats in a key i don't know why i mean it sounds beautiful it's a beautiful key to hear but i get it as a musician i get it i mean i'm a violinist i'd rather like any day take the key of g over the key of a flat like it's way better key one sharp versus four flats most people can probably sing in g key anyways yeah is a pretty standard in the middle of range key. So moving on, we're going to look at poeticness. And honestly, if I could give this like a six or a seven out of five, I would. Yeah. Because the flow is just incredible. I wrote down that Fanny Crosby mastery of the English language and poetry is incredible. I'm like, how can somebody write something that flows this well and sounds this good?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at, as far as, like, flow, I guess I'm looking at more of um, how it rhymes. I don't know oh, if that goes into your next book. There's definitely a lot of rhyming. But it, it definitely does rhyme. He yes. hath done, he gave us his son, redemption to win, that all may go in, mm-hmm. uh, voice, rejoice. I mean, that doesn't necessarily rhyme, but I guess the... No, it,
0: I mean, it does.
1: I mean, guess they the, rhyme. They do rhyme, actually, yeah. it's yeah. literally rhyming throughout the entire rejoice,
0: thing. Yeah. That is Again, she's just an amazing poet. Uh, I put that there's also a really great example of inclusio that we see here. There's a declaration at the start and at the end of the song. Yes. To God be the glory, great things he hath done.
1: Yeah, and then great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done.
0: Yeah. Um, keep coming back to it, and that's how the chorus ends. Give him the glory, great things he hath done.
1: Yeah, so if you weren't here for week one, mm-hmm. um, inclusio is something that I actually mentioned in the book study. Um, And what it means is um, uh, something ending, beginning and ending with the same thought. Mm -hmm. So in this case for Fanny Crosby's To God Be the Glory, it's uh, the first line, To God be the glory, Mm -hmm. great things he hath done. And then in the last verse, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. Mm -hmm. It it begins and ends with the same or Mm -hmm. similar thought.
0: Yeah, and and at the end of the chorus
1: as well. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I also put that in between those uh, kind of declarations. There's those proclamations. Uh, they kind of teach us that the greatest thing that God has done is the work of redemption. Yeah. And how the, even more than that, the greatest thing will be when we see Jesus. It's how that third final verse ends. And I just think it's amazing because Fanny Crosby was blind. And every time that she writes about seeing something in her lyrics, I think it just adds depth to it. Yeah. Oftentimes it's about seeing Jesus.
1: I think it would go into her belief that, you know, God has the power to make Mm -hmm. blind people see. Yeah. And that our bodies will be restored to perfection Mm -hmm. upon glorification. Yes. And restoration. And and we're already justified, but full justification. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I want to read the lyrics. Uh, these are original lyrics that I have here. Uh, but verse 1, it starts, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. And verse 2, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And verse 3, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. And the refrain or the chorus, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory. Great things he hath done.
1: Yeah, I'd say um, the first thing that came to mind, uh, especially reading the refrain, is Psalm 117. Mm-hmm. Uh, straight out of Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all people. Mm-hmm. Extol him, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us, mm-hmm. and his loving kindness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, almost like mirrors psalm 117 there it does yes and then there's just a whole bunch of um depth in the last line our wonder our transport when jesus we see Mm -hmm. uh because if you think about it god is spirit yes um before the incarnation god Mm -hmm. is fully spirit then after the incarnation uh we do see god Mm -hmm. and god has come as man and he still resides at the right hand of the father Mm -hmm. in a physical body. So we will be able to see God when we get to heaven.
0: Yes. Just incredible. So obviously five out of five. I don't think there's going to be any argument over that. Right. Uh, So next thing is evocation. Uh, For me, the main vibe I'm getting out of this song when I listen to it is awe. I put literally the main idea of this song is to God be the glory great things he hath done and just an awe of like he has done great things and he
1: deserves glory. Yeah, um it evokes this kind of um I guess posture mm-hmm. is the right word of who we should be praising. Yeah. Um a right posture, I guess. In our lives, not only in our lives, but in our words and in our singing, like our praises should be to Mm -hmm. God, and that should come from the heart, from our mind.
0: Yes. I wrote down that the song feels regal, and anyone that's heard the song, I think, would agree with that. I put that it has a very similar vibe to other hymns, like, for example, Majesty. Yeah. Holy, holy, holy. Yeah. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
1: Yeah, and obviously on. there's
0: many more, but I think those are all examples of, you get the same feeling of this kind of reality associated with it.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's probably like the best word regality.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote down that it makes you feel like you're a herald when you sing this song, like you're proclaiming to the world how God is deserving of all glory. Right. And that we should attribute it to him.
1: Well, I mean, that's basically what, um, when we talk about evangelism, yeah, uh, it's, Almost literally, what the word is in reference to is a herald, mm-hmm. someone who runs through the streets yeah. shouting news. And in our case, it's the good news of the gospel, which is mm-hmm. the redemption of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Uh, I put a five out of five on evocation. Uh, I think it definitely checks
1: out. Yeah. And I mean, it, she definitely um, calls people, calls people mm-hmm. to come praise along yes. with everybody else, whether that be the main singer or mm-hmm. leader, uh, the one who's singing this in front yeah. of a congregation.
0: Uh, so this this might be the longest section here, but lyrics, looking at how scriptural the song is. Uh, very similar to last week, this song is like all scripture. I think you'd probably find scripture connecting to probably every line in the song. Yeah, uh, I didn't pull everything out, but I pulled a good bit. Uh, one verse I do want to bring out and read uh, for you guys is Isaiah 25 1. It says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. I, I think that's a really good or cool verse in connection with this song. Yeah. Uh,
1: definitely God does do good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually got a first pulled for that for the end of Mm -hmm. this podcast um that goes along with it yeah um and we'll get there later but just yeah to god be the glory for things he has done Mm -hmm. like in the past already things he is doing now yes um and things he will do and we'll get into that even uh when we look at the book that we have for today as well
0: yes we will and then uh we're gonna from there. We'll move on to a verse that I kind of have connecting with a line in the chorus. Uh, I want to kind of pull some. I don't want to say obscure scripture because they're not obscure, but I don't want to bring out like, oh yeah, it's found in this psalm and in this psalm right here because there's a lot of really strong connections to the psalms right. with the lyrics here. Uh, but the line that I want to bring up is, "Come to the Father through Jesus the Son." And for me, what I think about in that moment is John fourteen six, that Jesus is the way to the father.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaks of a path. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I think we hear a lot of times, you know, the way, the truth, the life. Yeah. Um, and that he is the way to the father. Yeah. I mean, it's true and there's no other reason to
0: It's what the scripture says. Yeah. Uh, so obviously there's a lot more verses I could pull with the chorus. Uh, I kind of, I don't think I, I think I might be a little too exhaustive. I don't think that's necessary because again, just read the Psalms, and you'll find the strong connections there just by reading through the Psalms. Yeah, hundreds upon hundreds oh, yeah. of references in Psalms. Oh, yeah. Uh, but verse 1, uh, so first I want to bring up John three sixteen. Out of God's love he gave us his son. Yeah. Uh, I also want to bring up Leviticus 16. So in the original lyrics, it writes, he yielded his life an atonement for sin. And uh, if you want to study what atonement means, the first place I would send you is Leviticus chapter 16, which describes the Day of Atonement and yeah. kind of describes that whole process and everything. Uh, see, I put 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, uh, which is also a reference to Isaiah 53. But well, basically, hmm?
1: Isaiah 53. Yes, that's, that's a very, good, very chapter. good chapter. Yes.
0: It's probably why Peter references it in his uh, letter. But I wrote, the reason I brought that verse up, it teaches us that he gave his life so that we could have life and his wounds so that we could be healed. Yeah. So that's First Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, which is referencing Isaiah 53. Verse 2, I put uh, Colossians 1.14. Essentially, in Jesus, we have redemption. And I also put uh, just kind of other verses to kind of look at, but Acts 2, 38 and 39, John 3, 16 again, and First John 1, 9. I know I'm rattling these off. Uh, this would be something that I would recommend going back in your own time reading through. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially First John 1, 9, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of similarities to the gospel of John and the yeah. first chapter there.
0: Oh, yeah. And really my strongest connection why I bring those verses up, the vilest defender who truly believes that moment from Jesus of pardon receives. What we're looking at here is believing repentance and believing is what we're looking at here that's why i bring those verses up
1: yeah and the first person i guess the first two people to come to mind mm-hmm. for me like at least biblically um the thief yeah on the cross and then uh the apostle paul mm-hmm. or saul also called paul um first two people that come to my mind at least you know they would have been thought of as the most vile offenders
0: yes and still, by different groups though, but yeah, both violent I, I, I think that's a hundred percent true, and we see that even them, they still can be saved.
1: Yeah, and actually, it's a good point to bring up with um, the thief, because what does Jesus say to him on the cross? Mm-hmm. You know, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, dude had like minutes to live, maybe. I know, and he's already on a cross, paying the penalty for you know what he did in life. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have much time, if any, while on the cross to have a life as a believer, and he was immediately in paradise. So I think that I think even then, you know, we're seeing God's glory and His power to save people uh, at any point in time, at any moment, through any mm-hmm. any circumstance. Absolutely. And then, verse three.
0: I put two things down uh, The first thing I put is Acts chapter 7 uh, And uh, for those of you that don't, that don't know That's Stephen And that's the stoning of Stephen There at the end of the chapter uh, My connection here Why I brought to bring this up Is this idea in the, of that final verse Of how purer and higher and greater will be Our wonder and transport Our transport when Jesus we see And what I, what I immediately was thinking of Was Stephen when he looked into heaven And saw Jesus
1: then- yeah um i was i can't remember what I was thinking of um but I guess it was it would have had to have been something that Paul would have said probably in ephesians or Galatians mm-hmm. no, it was definitely uh first John just thinking about uh the light, yes, how we are light if we abide in God mm-hmm. right. And that we're the purest, yeah, and we're the highest and greatest when we abide in God for our power. That's what I was thinking about.
0: Yeah, and I feel like there is even more meaning to that. You know, not just talking about when we go to heaven, but even just abiding. It's Christ here. Yeah, is the same feeling, same idea. Uh, the other verse I put is Philippians one twenty three, and this is Paul writing, but basically where he talks about how it'd be far better for him to leave and be with Christ, right. I think that right there just, like, nails it in, in place right there, that it's how much greater and better it is when we will see
1: Jesus. Yeah, I mean, his glory is revealed at that point fully, mm-hmm. and we're there transformed yes. with him.
0: I put a 5 out of 5 on the lyrics. I think that's pretty fair yeah.
1: assessment. Again, it's like six out, of, 6 out of 5, 7 if we could.
0: I know. I mean, like, some of these I want to give them a higher score because it's like, right. Amazing. So final score ends up being a four and a half out of five. So still a really good score.
1: That is a good score.
0: Really. The only negative thing I have with it is that it's not easy to sing.
1: Yeah. Very difficult. Like I said, for an average person, Mm -hmm. very difficult. Yes.
0: I put that, this song, I think fits anywhere in a worship set, but I do think that the song thrives at the beginning of a service or at the end of a
1: service. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely at the beginning. I mean, if it's if it's having a call to worship, you want that to be at the beginning. At the very beginning, yeah.
0: But I love it as a closing. Uh, I also think a really cool utilization of this song would be to use it almost as a benediction at the close of a service. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about the blessing proclaimed through this song.
1: Right, and through the message that was just spoken. Mm-hmm. And Definitely.
0: sending us out to praise and to give him glory now right. as we go out into the world. So I think that'd be a really cool. I don't know if people do that. But if you don't, I think that's a cool use of this
1: song. And I think we actually have here a couple of times used it at the end of a service. We might. We might have just used like the chorus or something. Yeah. It's kind of like our ending. I feel like we've done that a couple of
0: times at least. I think it fits really well with that. Uh, So obviously, now we have the big question, the important question. Should you play this on a Sunday morning with a congregation? Of course. Yes. I would say you absolutely could. No doubt. And absolutely should. Yeah, like song is straight gospel. If it's really well in a worship set, I know it's a hymn. Hymns are not easy to play, especially if you're leading a, a contemporary set with like drums and guitars, and maybe a keyboard or piano. If you're cool,
1: yeah, and it's not that it's just gospel, but it mm-hmm. proclaims the gospel. Yes, it gives you the gospel, and we've seen that, right? So loved he the world that he gave us his son. John three sixteen mm-hmm. yielded his life. He gave up his spirit on the cross mm-hmm. for our redemption and opened the life gate, you know, the path to the Father, that restoration there, um, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, vilest offender who truly believes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have to be wary of true of belief yeah. in general, not true belief, but just belief because, you know, we have the verse, um, even the demons believe in God and they fear him.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an understanding of the word belief. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like an intellectual belief. What we're looking at here is essentially faith and trust when right. we say believe.
1: And then the moment from Jesus apart and receives gives that sense of, you know, judgment mm-hmm. being in a courthouse because, yeah. you know, Jesus is the judge just as he is the author and perfecter of faith.
0: Mm-hmm. So I love this song. I've been listening to it this week. I absolutely love it. Uh, I might put a link in the YouTube, you guys watching online. I might put a link in there of a version of the song. Uh, It's hard to find a good version of it because they're either like not good or they're like a choir and an organ.
1: Maybe we should. um... It's kind of hard. I was thinking about maybe covering it. I was gonna say maybe we should just uh, find a service where we used it. I thought like, about that too. But Twenty years ago, it I was seems like, like, "That's a lot
0: of work." Yeah, to find that a lot of services, but I, I think it'd be cool. Maybe I one day I'll do that, uh, or we'll do a cover of it, or we'll just have someone sing it for us. So I mean, song is public domain, so there's no issue with us recording it ourselves.
1: Yeah, watch us be talking about this song now, and then come Sunday, they play we it? Got it in the set list. I know. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Well, It's
0: funny because you guys listening at home. It would have already happened. Yeah. Because you'll be listening on Monday. All right. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a break before we come back into our word study and book study. And book study. It's going to be a good one. Very excited. We
1: have Genesis on the way. Oh, I love Genesis. Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30 and for service from 10.45 to noon, or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are a college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the youth, Awana and Cubbies for the kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. we're going to get into the book of genesis and we're going to we're going to see is god's glory through the genesis the mm-hmm. book of genesis okay uh so to kind of start we really got to establish um a few things uh the first one would be who wrote genesis um the second one would be why it was written um, and the third one would be when it was written. Okay. So let's start with who. Um, possibly Moses. Yeah. Uh, that's who most people would attribute Genesis being written to, written by, I mean. Um, who is it written to? Uh, that is the Hebrew people. Specifically, and this is getting into the when part, um, post-Exodus. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... That's uh, approximately 5,000 years ago, somewhere around there, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a long time ago and speaks to the consistency and the sovereignty of God in his word and keeping it alive. And then why? Uh, This is actually the interesting part, and it kind of involves us reading into Exodus. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, in order to understand the rest of the Bible, you have to understand Genesis Mm -hmm. But I think to fully understand Genesis in context, we absolutely need Exodus. Um, And that's because of a few things that happen, right? So in Exodus, we see that the Israelites are in captivity. They're in slavery for 400 years, Mm -hmm. okay, by the Egyptian people. And then they come out of Exodus. They come out of Exodus. They come out of Egypt. They go into Exodus, right? Mm Mm-hmm led by moses who is led by god mm-hmm. right and so they go into the sinai desert or sinai desert and they're at the base of mount sinai and moses goes up on this mountain for 40 days mm-hmm. all right and if you're watching on the youtube you can see up here um i've got a little visual so mount sinai And then the glory of God is at the top, covering the top of the mountain. And then at the base, you have the tents and everything where everybody's camped out at. So that kind of gives you a visual representation of what's going on. And they're in this desert for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, Moses goes up for 40 days, comes back down. Then he goes up for another 40 days. Mm -hmm. So he's up there with God and specifically in the presence of the glory of God, right? And when he comes back down, his presence, his his uh physical nature, Moses's, is changed. Like he has white hair now, he's like almost literally glowing.
0: Yes, I think a beautiful example of that is if anyone has ever seen the Ten Commandments.:
1: Yes, he
0: comes back down, it's like his beard gets longer and he like glows more.:
1: Yeah, <laughs> he goes from having like nice dark hair, yeah and being like really young. I guess I would assume Mm -hmm. he's pretty young, about 40, 50 when he goes up there. Oh, when he goes up to Sinai, he's like 80. He's like 80. Okay, Okay. so he's 80, (laughs) uh, which is a different 80 than nowadays. That'd probably be like 40 in our days. But he goes up there. He goes up there, and I would assume he still has like a nice beard, long hair, I guess, uh, nice color to it, probably nice brown. And then he comes back after those 80 days, and it's completely white. Mm -hmm. And he's just radiating with God's glory. Yeah. Uh, So, like I said, who? Moses. That's who it's attributed to. Um, The writing, the writing of Genesis is attributed Mm -hmm. to Moses. I would say that the information was definitely given to Moses by God while up on the mountain of Sinai. Mm,
0: Most probably.
1: But I would honestly probably put my money on Joshua being the one who actually physically wrote Mm. the book of Genesis. Uh, just because if you go into Exodus, it's kind of written in, at least in English, it's written in the third person. Mm-hmm. So I would attribute that to Joshua's writing. Because, I, I mean, so. Joshua was, Joshua's uh, I guess I would use the word disciple in that sense. Yeah, he was right under Moses. Yeah, Moses was his mentor, and he would have given Joshua all that information. Mm-hmm. So I would I would attribute the actual writing to Joshua, but the actual information who it was given to first mm-hmm. is Moses. Um, like I said, given to the Hebrew people, the Israelites, coming straight out of Egypt, coming straight out of slavery into the desert. Uh, so like I said, that's about 5,000 years ago. Uh, completely different world. Yes, very different world. And so why do they need the information that's in Genesis? Uh, and I wrote a few things down. So one, to remind the people of ancient covenants established upon them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two, to show and reveal God's glory. And we'll get into all that here in a second. And then three, explain why people are on the earth, why there is evil, and how to break away from that evil. Okay. And and we specifically see that in Genesis. So, like I said, to understand uh, the rest of the Bible in context, you have to understand Genesis, and you have to understand the movements through Genesis. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at this, um, we see God's glory in the acts, like acts in like a play mm-hmm. uh, in Genesis in yes, this way. And, yes. there's, and there's about six of them, at least how I broke it up, right? So the first act is creation, chapters one and two. Mm-hmm. Second act is the fall, chapters three and four. And something to note is that's where the first covenant, I would say, is found is in chapters three and four. Okay. It's not specifically stated, yeah, but it is shown. I see okay, that. I see it. Uh, the third act is Noah and the flood. That's chapter five through chapter eight and verse nineteen. The second covenant, which is Noah's covenant, mm-hmm. um, that is chapter eight and verse twenty through chapter nine and verse seventeen. And then the fifth act is the people are scattered. Mm-hmm. That's chapter nine and verse eighteen through chapter eleven and verse nine. Mm-hmm. And then you get into what I would consider the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is the patriarchy. And this is where we go through the whole life of four different people. Mm-hmm. And that starts in chapter 11 and verse 10 and goes to the end of the book of Genesis. Yes. And actually into the first chapter of Exodus, mm-hmm. uh, if you really think about it. So let's break down um, the patriarchy right quick. The first Abraham, chapters 12 through 25, a few focuses. Um, are chapter 12 And verses 1 through 3 Chapter 15 Chapter 17 And chapter 22 Chapter 22 is the sacrifice of Isaac So for Isaac His life starts in chapter 21 At least recorded Goes through chapter 35 of Genesis Some focuses there Chapter 21 Again chapter 22 And then chapter 26 mm-hmm. Verses 1 through 5 Okay moving on We have Jacob um. He is from chapter 25 and verse 19 of Genesis all the way to chapter 49. And then some focuses for specifically Jacob, chapter 25, obviously his birth, mm-hmm. chapter 27, chapter 32, and verse 22 through 32, that's, God wrest- that's Jacob wrestling with God. And then chapter 35 and verses 1 through 15, that's the renaming of Jacob to Israel. Very important there because he has 12 sons Mm -hmm. and they come to represent the 12 tribes of israel and there's two most important tribes to come out of that one specifically like we focus on a lot in genesis and that's joseph he is the last of the patriarchs we focus on and his life is mentioned in chapters 37 through 50 so obviously chapter 37 for his birth and this is the second person in chapter 38 that we focus on. And this is probably the most important of the tribes. And who do you think that is? There's two that come to mind. Okay. Uh, Which would be uh, either Levi or Judah. So you got it with the second one, Judah. Mm -hmm. So in chapter 38, we have a story about Judah and Tamar. Yes. And this this is one of the places that we see God's glory. Because if you go all the way to Matthew... Right, we see Christ's lineage, Mm -hmm. and then we see all throughout scripture talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, so through an adulterous act, through a sinful act that Judah and Tamar committed, we see the birth of a man named Perez. Yes, and Perez and Judah are both direct ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, and it's kind of interesting, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, but we see God's glory even in sinful acts. Yeah. And we see his His righteousness and his plan. Right. So chapter 38, big focus, huge focus there because without that happening, we wouldn't have Perez and therefore we wouldn't have the ancestry of Jesus. Moving on chapter 41. This is also Joseph chapter 45 through 46. And then we go back to Judah in chapter 49, mm-hmm. verses 8 through 12, mm-hmm. talking about how the rod, how the kingship yes. will not pass from his hand, yes. from his lineage. And we see that through Jesus Christ specifically. mm mm-hmm. um, Then we go back to Joseph in chapter 49, uh, verses 22 through 26. And then the last chapter kind of hits home for God's glory. Uh, that's chapter 50 and verses 15 through 26. That is Joseph and his brothers reconciling after the death of their father, Jacob. Mm-hmm. So those are just kind of the movements of the patriarchy. And something important to note about Joseph is he is considered a topology of Christ. Yes. So what that means is he is a Christ-like figure before Christ. Um, And we see that through his life. He gets sent into Egypt. He's sold. He's pronounced dead. And then he shows grace and mercy to the people of Egypt, And then eventually to his own family during the famine, Mm -hmm. he brings them in, he rises to glory and power and he reconciles with his family and he brings them in and he cares for them. Yeah. Right. So we, so we definitely see that. So moving on, right. So how do we see God's glory in these events of Genesis? Well, first we kind of have to establish a definition of biblical glory. Okay. So, and Do you have an idea of what biblical glory means? I think the big word that comes to me when I think of glory is weightiness. Waitiness, yeah, that's good. Um, And we've actually talked about this in a book Mm -hmm. called It's Good to Be a Man.
0: Yes, that is true. We have.
1: And the direct Hebrew word for glory is actually kavod, or probably better pronounced kavod. Mm -hmm. Um, And it appears about 200 times in the Old Testament. Um the first occurrence is actually in Genesis 31, 1. And this is during the life of Jacob, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it says, and from what belonged to our, our father, um, so he's there, he's trying to win Rebecca over, and he's working, he's taken all these sheep, and he's mated the best ones together to have these very beautiful sheep. Mm-hmm. And so the sons of his soon-to-be father-in-law are complaining, basically. And they say, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And that mm-hmm. word wealth is the same word, kavod, or kavod. Interesting. Yeah. And the, this word can also be translated honor or abundance, splendor, or reputation. And it's actually not to be confused with the word wealth. That's mentioned in the same chapter, chapter 31 of Genesis and verse 16, because that's specifically like material wealth. Mm-hmm. So, what Jacob had made for himself was glory, yeah, was honor, and he did this through being faithful and through being honorable and trustworthy. Whereas his soon to be father in law was not right, because you got to remember, like, he spent seven years. It was like seven years. Um, 14, I think. 14 total years. Yeah. And trying to get a wife. Mm-hmm. And his father-in-law was not honorable in that. No, oh. um, But some places that we see God's glory specifically mentioned, uh, the first one that came to mind, and actually that I was looking up, is Exodus 16.10. Mm-hmm. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. We see that a lot in the Old yeah. Testament. God's glory there, uh, especially since we're talking about, you know, Sinai, God's glory is guiding them by day. Yes. And by a cloud and then a pillar of fire by night. And so it just goes to show that by day and by night. And then eventually he settles in the taber- in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week. Yeah. You know, God's dwelling place will be with man. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of Exodus, you know, it was in that tabernacle. And then eventually he's going to create a new heaven, a new mm-hmm. earth, a new Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he's going to dwell there. Right there, yeah. Yeah. There will be no night. There will be no need for a sun, a moon, because his glory, mm-hmm. the, radiate, the radiating light from his glory is going to be what illuminates the city so it's just kind of awesome to think about and then some more verses um second second chronicles mm-hmm. uh, and I started this one second chronicles seven 3, I'm just gonna go right through them psalm nineteen one psalm twenty four uh, verses eight and ten psalm ninety six three and then psalm one four thirty one was another one I started mm-hmm. so just look at those on your own time so the question was, how do we see God's glory in these events? And then the answer to that is we see God's glory uh, when he creates the universe. And this is going back through the Acts. Mm-hmm. So we see in uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there creating, and he was there over the whole process Right, We see it when he creates man in his own image, right? He bestows upon us characteristics that he himself has. And so we are a mirroring of God. And it's interesting to think about because Adam and Eve were directly mm-hmm. created in the image of God. Yes. And we are that flawed image of God. Because of the fall. hmm because of sin. And this is what, when we get to the Exodus, this is what Moses is trying to teach his people, where they came from, why they're here. Mm-hmm. There are covenants established about, they will be specifically to Abraham and Noah. Their covenants are that they will have a multitude of children. Yeah. As numerous as the stars and as the sand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as far as Abraham goes, at times he didn't believe. And that's why we have the problem with Hagar yes. and him trying to fulfill it on the own. And that goes back to we don't save ourselves. God saves us. Mm-hmm. God does it's the not work. Us, it's him. Yeah. When we look at these covenants, it is God establishing these covenants. And God is going to fulfill them mm-hmm. in his way, not our way. So when we try to do things, and we've been going through Genesis on Sunday nights here at Ophi Baptist for many weeks now. And a couple months, I think. Yeah, a couple months. And we just finished the part about um, Hagar Mm -hmm. and the birth of Ishmael. He is not the promised son. No. Right? God fulfilled that promise through Sarah and the birth of Isaac. That's why his birth is so important. And we continue. And there's another covenant in there about circumcision with Abraham, you know, to separate who his people will be from the rest of the world. Yes. When we get to Exodus and these people are still circumcising their children after eight days of birth, Mm -hmm. they don't know why.
0: No, they don't. They're just doing it because that's what they've always done.
1: Yeah. I mean, we read in Exodus 1, there came a day when the Pharaoh forgot the deeds of Joseph. Mm -hmm. And not only Pharaoh... Forgot about Joseph But the people forgot who they were And why? Because they're in slavery You know, it's kind of hard to remember Where you come from When you're 400 years into slavery Yeah, that's true Very true And so Moses has to reestablish this And so he has to start With where we come from Mm -hmm. right? And that's why we have Genesis 1-1 God created the earth The heavens and the earth He created the trees, he created the water He created the earth like specifically the land. And he created a suitable environment for man to live in. Mm -hmm. Then he created man and woman, created man first to have dominion over the rest of the world. And then he created woman to be part of that society. Yes. She became the helper. And so we're to rule and we're to have dominion over the earth and share in God's glory in that. But now we can't because why? Because of the fall. Because of the fall. And that's specifically the woman being deceived. So now you have all of society being flipped around. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of the man making the decision, it's the woman making the decision saying, Hey, let's eat this Mm -hmm. and see what it does. Yeah. And that's by the deception of the serpent. So now in that situation, man is no longer the head and making the decision. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's all reversed. Um, so that's where sin comes into the world. And so they have to understand that, you know, what they went through for 400 years was evil, mm-hmm. right? And that, you know, while they may all have, you know, similar ancestry, they all came from Noah, right? From And if we go back for en- far enough, um, the ancestor of Abraham was Shem. Yes. So Shem is, like, technically the father of all the rest of you know the generations Absolutely. that's where it starts yeah and so then his brother was actually the um progenitor i guess is the right word of the egyptians
0: yes that would have been ham yeah ham and his uh, child uh oh i can't think of the name uh it's the hebrew word for the for egypt i can't remember what the word is now but that was ham's son and that's where they settled was there in Egypt. Yeah, I'm trying I, to pull it up right I'm quick. i trying to think what the name is. It'd, it'd be in Genesis chapter 11, chapter 10,
1: chapter 11, I think. Yeah, Cush, like Mizraim, put yeah, Canaan, Mizraim.
0: It was with the M. yeah. So Mizraim yep. means Egypt. Mizraim.
1: So from Ham comes the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And it's kinda interesting when you think about that, that um Ham was actually the one who um looked upon his father naked, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so he was subjected to be underneath both of his brothers. Because of that. And then yet all these years later we see that twisted around. And and it's all Satan in an attempt mm-hmm. to stop the coming. Of the Messiah,
0: absolutely. That's all he's trying to do,
1: and and we see that. And and this is going back to the first covenant, Uh, chapter three, um, when God is, you know, doling out judgment on the man and woman. We get Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen, and it says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the heel, and you shall bruise him on the heel." Right. Yes. And then this is also um at the same time when God goes and makes a sacrifice for them mm-hmm. so that they know what to do. And that is the establishment of the first covenant. Yes. A covenant of God having his glory by showing that there has to be a blood sacrifice. Mm-hmm. In order to restore.
0: That's where we get that connection of atonement. Uh, And anyone that's read through Hebrews understands that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin.
1: Yeah. And without this history, right, without them knowing, without Moses coming back down from the mountain and telling them this history, like, hey, we're created by God. Mm -hmm. There's this fall. And then God takes an animal and slays it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And covers these two people in that blood then the rest of the law doesn't make sense because they're like, well, why do we sacrifice? Who do we sacrifice to, mm-hmm. right? Because what they came out of was multiple gods, and now they're trying to essentially convert to monotheism. Mm-hmm.
0: to a single god, yeah. Yeah,
1: they go from polytheism to monotheism. So they really have to understand their history, and they're a people who don't even know their history. Mm-hmm. And so we just see God's, like I said, we see God's glory through these things. And you just have to imagine Moses is there among the people explaining all of this to them at the base of the mountain. Mm-hmm. God's glory is radiating, radiating off him. He's got white hair. He's the leader of these people, right? So he has to show them all of these things. He has to tell them all of these things. Mm-hmm. We also see it uh, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Um, God does not tolerate sin. Absolutely does not. He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden for eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he does not tolerate sin and through his glory, he destroys it. He judges it righteously. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also see it when he establishes and fulfills his promises. A great example I just mentioned was Abraham. Yes. Right. And the promise of a son. And he fulfills that in Sarah. And making her able to have a son, and that's Isaac. Mm-hmm. And then we see that uh, later on when we got to Judah, and we're talking about Judah and Tamar, even though they had a an adulterous act mm-hmm. and they committed a sin, God shows his glory through that and keeping that bloodline and having that promise there. And through Jesus Christ comes that ancestry. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I mentioned the birth of Isaac. Uh, We see it through righteous acts done by those who love him, right? So, and the first one I put down, and people are going to be like, you think this is a righteous act? But it's Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Yeah. Completely righteous act. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because what you have to understand is Abraham, see, Isaac is Abraham's first son Mm -hmm. by promise. And God tells him, because you got to understand, Abraham had been living in sin up until this point. He was a liar. That's true. Um, quite often he lied to do, two different people, at least on two different occasions, about Sarah being his mm-hmm. sister when she was his wife. And he had a tendency to, you know, worship the gods. And through this, he had to give up everything. Mm-hmm. God said, hey, sacrifice your son. And what do we see in that? He does it. Yeah. He's like, man, if this is the only way... For me to do what God wants me to do, for me to live a righteous life, then I have to do it. And I think most people give him credit because he did have faith that if he did that, Mm -hmm. God would have to bring him back to life.
0: Of course, yeah, to fulfill his promise that he had made.
1: Exactly. And what we see is when he gets to the top, there is a goat waiting there, and Mm -hmm. he's able to sacrifice the goat instead. Um, Another one, we actually have to go back a little bit, but Noah building the boat. Yes, We see God's glory in that. Also, we see his judgment in that, right? They're in a desert. This man builds a boat. People are laughing at him, mocking him, and yet he stays faithful. Mm -hmm. He stays righteous, and he builds that boat. He puts on all the animals. That flood comes, and he's safe. He's protected by God because of his faith. And all the other people, they're judged because of their sin. Mm -hmm. They're judged because they had no faith. They had no belief. And God's glory is shown through that. You know he does not tolerate sin. He is a holy, righteous, perfect God. He's separate from sin, and he wants his people to be that way too. Which is why we have to establish Genesis first, mm-hmm. and that history has to be established. We see it in Abel's offering, right? Abel, Cain, and Abel, right? Both brothers. You know, Abel makes a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, and that's the and that's the first sacrifice after. They're kicked out of Eden that we see. And so it just goes to show that he's following in God's established footsteps, right? He was taught that. So Jacob blessing Judah and Joseph, both righteous acts. Mm -hmm. One of them has the kingdom, has the kingship, has the rod and staff in his hand forever, you know? And the other one is the way into Egypt and then Mm -hmm. reconciled. Right, and then Joseph forgiving his brothers at the end of Genesis fifty, right? And he actually does it on two separate occasions. Uh, one after they finally realize who Joseph is, mm-hmm. and it honestly like brings me to tears every time because they're sitting there, and Joseph sends them off, and they realize they have more than they need. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh my goodness, we just stole all this stuff. We don't even know how it got here." So they come crawling back, essentially, and he has to send everybody away. Joseph does, mm-hmm. uh, because he's so overcome with emotion, uh, and he's just sitting there weeping. And then he, he reveals himself to his brothers. And then at the end, once again, after their father passes away, and it's his father's last wish, he's like, go and reconcile with your brothers. And he does it again. Um, so, yeah, God's glory is shown through the good and bad mm-hmm. of not only our lives— but also the lives of these people in Genesis. And it's got to be established and known so that the people in Exodus, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people in Exodus, are able to follow through with their daily lives with these new commands, Mm -hmm. with these new laws and practices, with a monotheistic faith, right? And so the verse that um, really comes to mind is Romans 8.28. And I think uh, this, honestly, I kind of wish this verse was in Genesis. Um, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. And what we see with that patriarchy is each one of those people, and even Noah and Adam and Eve and Abel, all of them, they're all called according to God's purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of that is to lead up to the time of Exodus when Moses is sitting there at the top of Mount Sinai when the people have forgotten who they are, where they come from, all these covenants established hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of years before them. So God can have Moses established as well for a good purpose to lead those people out of Egypt to give them these laws to separate them from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of Genesis in a nutshell, and that's God's glory through it, Yeah. right? Absolutely. He fulfills his covenants, and some of them, I would say, yet, are still yet to be fulfilled. You know, like God's, you know, the kingdom of Jesus, you know, Judah's kingdom is still in the process
2: mm-hmm.
1: of having the headship, which is Jesus. That's true. Uh, so that kingdom has not been fully established yet and will be established at end times. You know, which is kind of why we started with Revelation last week.
0: And go into Genesis now. And
1: then go into Genesis now. Because we see the end, we see the result, but how do we get there? And Genesis is how we get here.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: our answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, we we have to have Genesis to understand the rest of the Bible. And then, like I said, we also have to have Exodus and, you know, Moses' dealings with God on the mountain, his talking with God on the mountain in order to know that, Genesis even exists, to know how we got here.
0: I think that's very true. And honestly, I agree with you on the idea that you need to study Genesis and Exodus together. They lead right into each other.
1: Yeah, and it's one of the unconventional things about modern Bibles Mm -hmm. is that we have chapter breaks and we have verse numbers. That is true. I I would put my money down on it right now. That Genesis and Exodus were written written on one scroll. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, the whole thing is written on one scroll. Yeah, it's called the Torah. The Torah, exactly. It's one Continuum long parchment scroll, five books. Right. We I mean, we separate them in five books, but one scroll. Yeah, and so it just makes sense that you know, and when you get to Genesis fifty, and it's talking about the end of you know Joseph's life. It says, so Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt, right? And then you move straight into Exodus 1. Mm -hmm. Uh, It talks about the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. So just going back through them. Um, And then we get to verse 8, or verse 7, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. That's Mm -hmm. the promise we see. God's Mm -hmm. glory is happening right there. And multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. And then we get to the verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Yeah. And so that's how they get to where they are in Exodus. Mm -hmm. And really the biggest reason why
0: I feel like that break is there at the end of Genesis is because all throughout Genesis, we have, uh, I forget what the actual word is called, uh, but essentially like the he died section. That's kind of how it's sectioned off. You yeah. have Adam and he died and we continue all the way through that. And where do we end Joseph and he died. And from there we move into now our next, uh, not a patriarch, but now we have Moses, you know, and we don't see Moses die until Deuteronomy. Yeah. So these next four, you know, these next four books, they all flow out from Moses.
1: Yeah. And, and that's like I said at the beginning, uh, We get into who all this information is given to originally. Mm -hmm. That's Moses. Now, who I think wrote it down? Joshua. Makes sense. And, you know, it would make sense because I don't think they really have time while they're sitting there wandering the desert for 40 years, you know, to write all this down. Mm -hmm. But I I would bet that Moses is constantly reminding the people, Mm -hmm. constantly reminding Joshua about, hey, this is who we are. This is what God's done for us. This is where we come from. And then once they settle in the promised land, Joshua has that time. Mm -hmm. And then he finally does write the Torah. So that's who I would accredit the actual writing to, Joshua.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I think a couple big things is, I mean, I think the full construction, I think would have been definitely in Joshua's time when we see a full construction of it. Uh, But if anything, I feel like they would just, a lot of it was just historical record that they were taking as they were traveling. Yeah, and that and definitely and eventually would put it all together into a book.
1: Yeah, and that definitely could be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know. And yeah, I don't think not. it's, I mean, it is a big deal, like in the sense of, you know, we need to know who, why, when, where, mm-hmm. and where, into who. Um, but I don't think we need to sit here and be like, At the oh, same it's time, definitely Moses or, oh, no, it's definitely Joshua. Yeah, because we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But like I said, that's Genesis in a nutshell and God's glory through. Even flawed people, Mm -hmm. it's always through flawed people because we're sinful people.
0: All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and end it there. That is episode two. All the way done. Uh, Very excited with this series. Uh, Very excited as we continue on next week as we'll be looking at another one of the five solos. Yes. I I don't remember off the top of my head which one it is. either. Uh, That's another good one. We'll figure it out. Uh, But I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, There will be a poll uh, if you're listening on Spotify. So please do the poll if you see it. You should see it at the end of the video.
1: Uh, We'd like to hear your feedback on uh, what you would like to hear in the future. And then we do have a set schedule. mm -hmm. So I think we've got things scheduled out until, like, what, April? Oh, yeah. Right now uh, we're going
0: straight all the way through Christmas. Yeah. But after that, I'd love to take some ideas so I'll hear, we'll be periodically doing these polls.
1: Yeah. We just have ideas for next year, but we'd like to hear your feedback on mm-hmm. what books you'd like us to do or what thoughts or series or Exactly, like topics, what you want I us guess. to talk about, yeah. what songs what you want, you to want us to about. review. Right. Got a lot of good things coming.
0: Absolutely. All right, so uh, until next
1: time. See you. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.